Good morning. It's been a beautiful moment in time to worship together. How thankful we are for our worship team. They lifted us into the presence of the Lord. I must say I was quite disappointed that we didn't have an offering or we didn't spend 20 minutes in announcements, but we got over that as soon as we heard from Brooke and Desmond. What beautiful testimonies and how thankful you should be for them and others who are coming behind them. Thank you for your support of Lancaster Bible College, Capital Seminary and Graduate School. I have poured uh, three decades of my life into that work and it's a work that's needed today like uh, no other work in the times in which we live. You've prayed for us, supported us, and you have blessed us with your support and I'm here today to say a heartfelt thank you. If you have a copy of God's Word this morning, I invite you to go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Brandon has already quoted from Paul speaking to Timothy, and now we find these words that Paul says to Timothy in this chapter. Chapter 2, he was saying, be courageous, stick at it, have courage. And now in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, he says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Theodore Roosevelt, the 26th president of the United States, wrote in Ladies Home Journal in October of 1917 these words, and I quote, If a person is not familiar with the Bible, he has suffered the loss which he had better make all possible haste to correct. A thorough knowledge of the Bible is worth more than a college education, end of quote. Now, more than ever, 2021, a knowledge of the Word of God. The influence that the Bible can have in my life and your life and in society, in the world, is needed more than ever before. We have the marvelous opportunity to stand firmly on solid ground, on the authority of the Scripture, and what a marvelous time we have to engage our culture in this upside-down world in a very winsome way. Move the clock forward 100 years since the President Roosevelt made those comments, and almost 100 years to the month, we read in GQ, for those of you who aren't up on fashion, GQ is a magazine that used to be called Gentleman's Quarterly Magazine. I've always tried to dress like them. No, not really. Just last year, they had an article entitled, 21 Books You Do Not Have to Read. And number 12 on their list was the Bible. 
I quote, it is repetitive, self-contradictory, sententious, I had to look that word up, it means judgmental, over-moralizing, foolish, and even at times, ill-intentioned, end of quote. Sadly, their assertion reflects our culture today. We live in a society that is boundary-free, morally confused, and totally relativistic, which leads to humanism. A culture that thinks it knows better than the Bible is a culture that you and I face every single day of our existence. And there are many loud voices right here in Lancaster and certainly in the Commonwealth and in our greater United States who are calling for us to forever give up on the Bible. This is an ancient book. It's irrelevant. It's marginalized. And certainly it does not keep step with the modern 21st century. Let me ask you a couple of rhetorical questions this morning. Why do we have a seven-day week? Why is this the year 2021? Why do we use printed books? Some of us are carrying a Bible in our hands today. Why is the average Westerner literate at all? And the answer to all of these rhetorical questions are the Bible, the Word of God. You see, without reading the Bible, we could never comprehend Michelangelo's works of art, like the Sistine Chapel, the Pieta, or the Last Supper. There's no way we could ever fully grasp Dante or Milton or Bach. Indeed, many of the great masterpieces of all time wouldn't even exist if it weren't for religious patrons, men and women centuries ago who believed the Bible and paid, literally paid artists and composers to celebrate the message of the Bible. If you don't have a working knowledge of the Bible, most of Shakespeare's allusions will be hazy to you. You might as well forget really understanding the point of all of Shakespeare's literature. You'll never understand why the first European colonists came to New England. You will absolutely miss what motivated the abolition of slavery. And certainly, to bring it closer to our time, you will never understand what Martin Luther King Jr. wrote in his letter from a Birmingham jail. It would be totally unintelligible if it weren't for an understanding, a grasp of the eternal word of God. What I have just shared is a drop in the bucket of the Bible's influence. My wife, Paulette, and I have led four tours of friends from Lancaster down to Washington, D.C. to see the Museum of the Bible. I put a plug in to each one of you, those of you who have children and grandchildren. It's one of the most life-transforming experiences. It's only an hour and a half away. 
And the museum of the Bible is almost too much to comprehend because it starts at the very beginning and takes you down through the centuries on the influence, the cultural, economic influence the Word of God has had on society today. And the Judeo-Christian tradition it represents. The Bible is certainly why we value women equally with men. While we, why we value men equally with women. Why we don't think it's okay to leave newborn babies out in the elements to die. Why we think mercy is admirable. And even why we believe history had a beginning and history as we know it will someday come to an end. Simply put, to understand the Bible, we have to understand who we are and why we think we do. And when we get to that point of thinking and reasoning, we will understand that it's the Bible that's had the greatest impact and influence on us. You see, if we truly understand the Bible, we simply cannot cancel culture and erase history. If you lose everything else I say this morning, put that hook in your mind. Today we dare not cancel culture and erase history because of the word of God. Deciding the Bible is irrelevant and has no place in society explains a lot of today's cultural confusion. But beloved, you know and I know that attack on God's word is nothing new. The attacks by GQ magazine, Darwinism, higher criticism, the sciences and social sciences have had their roots as far back as the Garden of Eden. Remember what the serpent asked? The serpent put that seed of doubt in Adam and Eve's mind and said, Did God really say? And that sums it up today. The people today in our society who are trying to do away with the word of God have made the word of God irrelevant, marginalized, and in essence they are saying, Did God really say? Now, the Apostle Paul knew something about the attacks against God's word. Paul was writing in our text in a very pagan society. It was a day of decline in the church, just as we have seen a declining influence in society of the church of Jesus Christ. So Paul, in the midst of a society that is very similar to what you and I face today, strengthened and emboldened young Timothy in the faith by reminding him that when we are reading the Bible, we are reading God's word. Not man's words, but God's words. 2 Timothy 3. 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, 
rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Before explaining how and why Scripture is useful and the one book we must read, Paul first establishes that when we read the Bible, we are indeed reading the very Word of God. That's why he says all Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed. We have to constantly remind ourselves, beloved, because this book is under attack. We have to remind ourselves that the Bible is not the writers, the writings of philosophers or pundits or poets, but it's the word of the living God who reigns from on high. This is the way Peter explained it in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see what he's saying? It wasn't human prophets. It wasn't men and women who originated the message. <laughs> they conveyed the message they use their personalities in the process just as we do when we teach and proclaim the scripture. And Almighty God gave us his guidebook for life and his guidebook for salvation. And because it's the word of Almighty God, it's powerful enough to shape us and to form us and to complete us and to make us mature so that at just that right moment in time and eternity, we are going to stand in the presence of the Lord, fully clothed in the righteousness of God. It's a wonderful maturing process. Our text this morning, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 19, gives us four reasons. It's the greatest book in the world clarification, conviction, correction, and completion. And that, beloved, I submit to you is why it is the one book we must read. The first reason is clarification for doctrine, to teach us what is true. My wife Paulette and I often read and listen and we will turn to one another and say, how do we know the truth today? The messages are coming at us in all ways, different messages, nuanced just a little bit differently with language. And we cry out and say, what is true? Well, the word of God is eternal, just as God is eternal. The word of God is eternal. Matthew chapter 24, verse 35. You remember the words of Jesus who said, heaven and earth will pass away. But this book, his words, the infallible word of God will never 
pass away. His words are more stable and lasting than creation. Think of that. We live in the breadbasket of beauty here in Lancaster community. When I'm able, I never miss a sunrise. I never miss a sunset. The beauty in this community is gorgeous. You travel beyond Lancaster County to the world. And this creation is magnificent, all God's doing. That is all going to be burned up and destroyed. All of this will be gone. But God's word is eternal. It's forever sealed in heaven. You see, God gave us his word so that we would know how to live. I just love teaching this to young people. Young people today live in a very confusing environment. My grandchildren grow up where they're hearing many voices and they too are asking what is truth. But it's the word of God that teaches us how we ought to live. Think of this. Of all the ways God could have communicated the eternal truth of the word of God, and write his revelation. He did it in 66 books. He did it in a period of 1,500 years. And yes, he used 40 different human authors just like you and me. And yet the word of God has a unity of truth and doctrine from Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 to Revelation 22 verse 21. It's the most marvelous piece of literature there ever was. It's a miracle book. But here's the catch. In order to understand the doctrine, the teaching, the precepts, we have got to read the Bible. Maybe this morning the Spirit of God would convict us. I'm not here to hammer you over the head and say you've got to read the Bible for two hours a day. But perhaps we could do just a little bit better than what we're doing today. After all, the Word of God is given for clarification, for doctrine, to teach us what is true. The second reason why this is the greatest book and we must read it is for conviction, for reproof, to teach us what is wrong, not only what is true, but what is wrong. You know that reproof is conviction by proving or testing something. The Bible encourages us to prove the word of God, prove the truths of the word of God, apply the truths of the word of God and see if it doesn't work for you. I like Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living, active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. The psalmist said it like this in Psalm 119, verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart. that I might not sin against 
you. You see, God's Spirit shows us through His Word how He wants us to live. I say it kindly as I can. We dare not be ignorant when it comes to the truth of the Word of God. Many Christians I find in my life, in this stage of my journey, enjoy picking and choosing the verses that they want to underscore. And we dare not do that, or else we will not be convicted, reproved, proving the entire word of God. You see, I love to tell young people, the word of God will provide for you every answer you have in life. Quite frankly, at my age, 50 years in ministry, what I'm seeing on the national stage many days causes me to shake my head and just say, I'm so glad my mom and dad aren't here to see this. And if I don't come back and anchor myself to the word of God and to realize that it's the word of God that we go back to. It never grows old. It's not irrelevant. It's eternal. It can teach us what is wrong. The third reason is correction. We must read this book, not only to teach us doctrine, not only to show us what's wrong, but to show us what is right, the right way to go. My human nature does not like correction. It's painful. I spoke for 21 years from the pulpit of the chapel of Lancaster Bible College to students. And there was a professor who was called by God to come up after every time I spoke and correct me on something I said. Oh, I love people like that. It didn't matter how minute it was, I could count on him to be there and to correct me. I didn't like that. And when I dug deep, I realized it hurt my pride. Because you see, my heart is wicked. My heart is deceitful. I've got awful rebellious attitudes, and I've walked with God an entire lifetime. You see, correction is essential. Notice what the psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure or purify his path? <laughs> the answer, by living according to your word. The word of God is given to correct us. It's hard to go through a reset moment in life. It's hard to stop in our tracks and, we, and recalibrate, to turn, to adjust course just a little bit. But I am telling you, the joy that comes from allowing the Holy Spirit to use his holy word to bring about that little bit of change in our life that just 
degree of change that will make all of the difference. James, you know, in verse 1, or verse 22 of chapter 1 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself, but do what the word says. Increasingly, people are coming to the Bible as though they were coming to a Lancaster County smorgasbord. We pick, we choose, the amount, the time, the place, and that satisfies us. And that is such an incomplete way to approach the Word of God. I would suggest it's a mark of the pluralistic time in which we live. It's a mark of a postmodern society. It's a mark of a politically correct culture. It's a mark of a cancel culture era. God's word will teach us what is right. That is why it is the book we must read. And finally, that means nothing when I teach in class, those words, and finally. Oh, you didn't get that. And finally, the clock is going, so it is finally. The word is completion. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The word perfect is an interesting word. We would immediately say none of us are perfect. But the word perfect means mature or complete. And maturity takes a lifetime process. I really pray that you can look yourself in the mirror today. One year ago today, we remember where we were with this COVID and the virus. And we remember what we were doing a year ago today. It's so easy for us to remember this. I really hope that we can look ourselves in the mirror today and say, wow, I'm a deeper, more spiritual person. I've got some spiritual depth to me this year because I've been in the Word of God. And the Word of God is completing me and maturing me and making me more like Jesus Christ. I've discovered something though, beloved. Maturity requires knowledge. If we don't have a knowledge of what's in this book, we've missed the first step. Maturity also involves discernment. The more we get into the scripture, the more we discern. Spurgeon said, the more we get into the scripture, it gets into our bloodstream. And pretty soon we are thinking the scripture, we are speaking the scripture, and we are living the scripture. And the third step to maturity is application. And I can know what's in this book, but if I don't take that step and apply it, And that's why we approach the Word of God every day in a fresh way and we're crying out to the Spirit of God to tell us, 
how will this make a difference in my life today? You see, it's all here. It's all here to make us complete. And then if we're going to be complete, we must obey the scripture. Sometimes I put, try to put myself in the mind of Christ, which we never can do. But I often wonder in my life if the Lord Jesus is hurt or confused when he looks down on me, perhaps you, and says he knows what's in the word of God. Why isn't he obeying what's in the word of God? In Romans eleven thirty-three, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. That's why it's the one book we must read. One of my favorite prophets is Jeremiah. Jeremiah is referred to as the weeping prophet. And Jeremiah just spewed forth and explained something in Jeremiah 15, 16 that is so marvelous. He says, Thy words, the word of God, were found. And he said, I did eat them. And thy word was under unto me joy and rejoicing. And my heart was filled with joy. Jeremiah was facing difficult situations. He suffered. He was sorrowful. His message was rejected. And it's as though he came upon the promises of God. It's as though a light bulb went off in his spirit and his soul. And we see from the book that Jeremiah was thoughtful in approaching the word of God. He meditated on the word of God. He memorized the word of God and it took his sorrowing heart to a joy-filled heart. Thy words were found and I did eat them. Oh, the difference the word of God makes in our life. My days are limited as yours are. And right now, I ask God every day at my age, how can I be intentional with my influence? It's the only simple prayer I have. How can I be intentional with my influence? And you know how I think God answers that in my life? to show your children who are adults, your 10 grandchildren, and whoever else is in your sphere of friendship, the influence the word of God can have on one life and how one life influenced by the word of God can impact 
the church and society. It's a marvelous vision. I share it with you this morning. Let's join our hearts together in prayer as the worship team comes. Our Father, this morning we pause to corporately express our gratitude for the authoritative, infallible, holy, eternal Word of God. Thank you for the Word's precepts and promises, the direction it gives us, the light it sheds on our path. Father, give us a desire this week to learn more of Christ, to retrain the truth that we read in the scripture, and then to go forth and to be a light in a dark world. We thank you for the scripture, how it clarifies truth for us, how it convicts us, how it corrects us, how it completes us. Today we celebrate the scripture as we pray in Christ's name. Amen.